Well, good morning. I ask you if you have your Bibles to turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Thankful already for being able to worship the Lord today. It's been good worship in every service. And just so thankful for Pastor Kevin, leadership, Scott, all that y'all do, choir and everything as we gather together. Um, <clears throat> big day in life, our church, not only three services this morning, and God's blessed us. And thank y'all for being here. I mean, it's raining. You could have not come. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and you would have been awful. But I'm just saying that uh, you're here, and we're thankful that you are here, excited about it, have our lunch with the staff. So if you're a guest with us, man, just come on. We would love to meet you and talk with you. Any questions you have or anything you'd like to, to get to know, we would love to to have you uh, come to lunch with the staff immediately following this service. It's free, right? That works. But also this evening at 5 o'clock, this evening at 5 o'clock, we'll have our, our time together as the body coming together in this room to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, but also to go through deacon ordination. We have six new deacons we'll be ordaining tonight. So it's a great opportunity for us as a body to come together, consider who Christ is, and consider how he's blessed us with those who help serve and work here in the life of our church. Since we got back to the book of Acts three weeks ago, we, we started out in the spring, took some, a break in the summer, but now we're back in and we have our third sermon back in the book of Acts today. We've changed our emphasis. We saw how at the beginning the Lord helps us encounter God and how that works and then last how he equips his church and now we see how the Lord sends his church and so we can understand that idea of sending and we started in chapter 13 with that in mind. The Antioch church there in chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 prayed through their, not, not out of compulsion, not out of some sort of persecution or threat that had happened already, but through their regular ministry of the church, worship, prayer, fasting, the Spirit speaks to them to send out Paul and Barnabas. Up until that point, remember, they had dispersed and they had gone to different places and everywhere they went, they shared the gospel. But usually it was because some sort of persecution or threat had arisen, but here, with Antioch Church in chapter 13, they were simply worshiping, praying, fasting, and the Spirit says, send them out. The only way we're going to accomplish Acts 1-8, reaching the uttermost parts of the earth, is through sending them out to proclaim the good news of Christ. And so in Acts chapter 13, we see Paul and Barnabas being sent out by the Holy Spirit through the church at Antioch. And what we see in 13 and 14, it tells us of Paul's first missionary journey. Paul's first missionary journey. Now, if ever you happen to be listening to a sermon I'm preaching and you get bored with it, you probably have flipped to the maps in the back of your Bible at some point, right? Everybody's done this? Good. Glad to hear. Glad to hear you hadn't. You flip to the Bible maps and you'll see a map there that'll have Paul's missionary journeys usually. There was three of them and you kind of see how that works. Well, well, this is the first one took about a year to two years for Paul and Barnabas to go, and, and they set sail. They went to, to Crete first and went to city to city. Then they went into Europe, and they went cities into Europe, and then came back through that way. This was the first missionary journey of Paul, going to Cyprus, going into Asia, coming back to Antioch. We see how the church in Antioch sends them and what it means to be sent. Now, this is important because as we discussed last week, 
We believe as God's people that we all, if you are a child of God, have been born again by the blood of Christ through the Spirit. If you trust in him for life and salvation and you are a child of his in his family, then you are also a sent one, if you will. I mean, Jesus prays on the night he's, he's being betrayed. He prays, Father, just as you have sent me, so I am sending them. And he's praying for us, all who believe. We are sent into the world to proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus if we are God's people. So when we get to chapter 14, what we begin to see is the strategy by which Paul and Barnabas seek to take the gospel into the world. The strategy is on display, but not just the strategy, also the encouragement, the encouragement to keep going to take the gospel there. So you see these two things, the strategy and the encouragement. Now, when it comes to strategy, we see the strategy of Paul and Barnabas. They go from city to city. They go to city to city, and they go first into the synagogue, and they proclaim the name of Jesus. And then if they're pushed out, they go to the streets. But they go from one town to the next town to the next town. This was their strategy as they go from place to place. But understand, that strategy even of itself will become a point of contention later. The strategy that Paul and Barnabas have in the first uh, missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas will go for the second one, and they'll have a different opinion. Barnabas wants to go to a new place. Paul wants to go to the places he's been before. They separate out over strategy. But here in chapter 14, as we see them going from town to town, they come back to Antioch. Then we will see how that strategy works and what it means for us, and ultimately that encouragement in the midst of it. So what I want to do is I want to read Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, and then I want to jump down to chapter 14, verses 21 through 28. So if you have your Bibles, and hopefully you do, if not, you can follow along with us on the screen. Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now jumping down to verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they, came, when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that had, they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It's good for us. 
Help us to remember, God, that no one is in this room by happenstance or chance, that you have brought us all together for this moment, for this time. No matter what uh, compulsion it took to get us here, no matter what uh, idea we had in coming, Father, ultimately and finally, it is you who have brought us together this time at this moment. And so, God, I pray as we gather together for your glory, as we have sung already of you who are worthy of our worship, that you would take your word now and apply it to each and every heart, teaching us and molding us into who you would have us to be and what you would have us to do as your people. God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the early conversations we had about the book of Acts was some of the interpretive difficulties that come with this book. First, the question that I want to just kind of bring up here was discerning in the book of Acts as to what was descriptive versus what's prescriptive. Now understand, the book of Acts is a, is a narrative. It's telling a story. And so sometimes when you're telling a story, there's just some things in there that are simply descriptive. They're telling us what happened. And so we, we read it and we learn what happened. We learn the, the descriptive part of it. But then there's also some of this because it's God's word and given to us through the Holy Spirit that it is prescriptive for us. Not just telling us what happened, which is descriptive, but prescriptive in showing us what we must do. Our passage today has both of these elements. It's descriptive in telling us of Paul and Barnabas' strategy, how they go from town to town, how they speak first in the synagogues, and then they, they go to the Gentiles in the same place. It's it's descriptive in that part, but also it's prescriptive for us, but maybe prescriptive in a way we may not see at first. We may not do missions or evangelism the same exact way Paul and Barnabas do in Acts 14. We may not have a strategy that goes from city to city to city that we go about preaching the gospel. Ours may be different. In fact, we're looking forward to the month of October in the life of our church. And in the month of October, the month of impact, you'll hear about a strategy that we employ here to reach our neighbors and our friends, where we live, work, and play. Who are the people where we live that, that are close to us and far from God, where we work that are close to us and far from God, where we, where we spend time and, 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 and play together in, in the world where we, they are close to us and far from God? Who are those people that we can reach and we think of strategy that way? And like I said, Paul and Barnabas will have different strategies that will separate them later in the book. So it's not so much the strategy in the X's and O's, if you will. What we're looking in this prescriptively is how this tells us what should be at the heart of whatever strategy we do employ. Now understand, you have to have a strategy. Without a strategy, there's no plan to reach the nations with the gospel. So you'll hear us talking about those plans constantly. But at the heart of all of those strategies, there must be an understanding of what is the basis of it all. What is it that we go with? What is it that we do? How is it that we proclaim the good news of Christ? Being the first journey here, I believe there's some sense that this is the prototype. As I talked about with Antioch, the first church to send, there's some sense that's the prototype. You have Antioch worshiping, praying, fasting, trusting in the Lord, and they send. It leads them to send. And so every church, I believe, that, that trusts in Jesus, worships him, prays, fasts, seeks his face, will be a sending church in its health. 
At the same time, when we look at this first missionary journey of Paul, there are things we can learn for us as we are sent into the world that are non-negotiables. Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit through the church at Antioch to proclaim and preach the gospel. Really, that's the base and heart of what they were sent for, to proclaim and preach the gospel. But in our passage today, we'll learn three things about that real quick. First, who were the people to whom they proclaimed the gospel? It says here in chapter 14, verse 1, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. He's first here, as Paul and Barnabas enter into this city of Iconium, they first enter into the synagogue. This is a natural place for them to start, right? They're both Jews. And, and the synagogue, understand, is not like the temple. The temple's in Jerusalem. The synagogue are made up of those Jews that have been dispersed out of Israel and Jerusalem. There's no sacrifices at the synagogue. There's nothing like that. But that's where the Jews gather together to hear the, the scriptures read, to, to be taught, and to, to be encouraged in them. And so it makes sense for Paul and Barnabas to go there first. They believe all of the Old Testament, which is what they would have been reading, was pointing to Jesus. And as we saw in chapter 13, as they entered the synagogue, they said, would you have anything to say? And Paul stands up and preaches and goes through all of the Old Testament and shows how everything's pointing to Christ. This would be normal for them. And by the way, it's normal for us. Our tendency is to go to people that we know pretty well, too, that have similar backgrounds to us, have similar experiences in life, have similar ideas, and have similar, similar cultural basis. That's where we usually go first as well, right? It's where we're most comfortable. It's where we most... I like to go to people. It's much easier for me whenever I'm sharing or talking with someone if they already know the story of David and Goliath. Y'all realize there's people out there that don't, right? But I, I feel better when they do. I can, I can point back to say, look, here's how this points us to Jesus. I can go through those stories and tell it. It's much easier to share in those contexts. So it is for Paul and Barnabas. And so they go there first, and we should not be surprised about that. But what we also must notice is that Paul and Barnabas, though they go there first, they do not withhold the gospel from anyone else, though. In fact, it tells us that they go to the Jews, and they're the Greeks, now, I know we have major divisions in our society based upon race, based upon socioeconomic status. We have all of those things. But you need to understand, in first century right here, those divisions are even greater between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Greeks. But for Paul, he, he says, ultimately, I go to all of them. He's going to the Jews and the Greeks. If you look back in chapter 13, when the Jews didn't believe, he says in verse 46, we are turning to the Gentiles then. And there the testimony is that the light of the gospel is for all people. It shines too bright just for the Jews. It shines for all the nations, as, as Isaiah says. And so ultimately, Paul is saying, and understanding that there is no barrier, whether it's man-made or not, there is no barrier that stops the gospel from advancing. There's no barrier that can keep it from going to anyone and everyone. He did not withhold the gospel from anybody. And these, these patterns keep continuing. Paul and Barnabas saw no barrier to the gospel based upon national pride, based upon ethnic lines, based upon socioeconomic status. And whatever barrier what may be in place, the gospel's like a bulldozer and it simply crushes it. No matter how big the chasm may be between the two, the gospel reconciles them 
through the gospel, through the good news of Christ Jesus. No matter how much that we may put up as a barrier, there is no barrier. We must remember that the gospel cannot cross. The gospel cannot tear down. More so even for us as we think of this. As I said, it's easy for us to go to certain people. But we got to remember that oftentimes the only reason the gospel doesn't get to others is because of the barriers that we put up ourselves. For Paul and Barnabas, they are sent with no barrier for the gospel. Anywhere, everywhere they can proclaim it, they proclaim it. They share it. I'm reminded of the, the parable of the sower. You remember Jesus gives the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, you got the farmer. He's sowing seed, right? And he's throwing seed. And if you remember, the farmer's terrible at his job. He's sowing seed everywhere. He throws some up in the rocks. He throws some out on the path. He throws some in the weeds. He throws it, some of it, some of it lands in the good soil, right? He's throwing seeds everywhere. Me, I am an excellent farmer. You can laugh, it's fine. But my granddad taught me how to do it. And I had to poke my hole down in the little, uh, down in the little dirt and put three seeds per every hole. And he walked behind me and counted how many seeds were in there. That's how you're supposed to do it, right? But that's not the point of Jesus' parable. The point of Jesus' parable is that we share the gospel everywhere all the time. It is not our duty or responsibility to decide what soil it may land on. We throw it in the rocks, and if God will change the rocks, he'll change the rocks. And we throw it in the weeds, and if he'll raise them up out of the weeds, he'll raise them up out of the weeds. And we throw it on the path, and we throw it in the good soil, and we know, we know it is not our job to determine where that gospel lands. Our job is to proclaim that gospel anywhere and everywhere. And the Lord causes the increase. That's what Paul and Barnabas went with. It is not our job to say, well, that looks like rocky soil. I'm not going to share with them. That looks like weeds. It's a bunch of weeds over there. That's a mess. I'm not going to tell them. Oh, that's, that's the path. They're worn out. They've heard it so many times. It's worn out. I'm not going to share with them. No way do we have that privilege or responsibility to determine who gets to hear the gospel or not. You see, the basis of what we are sent with is to proclaim the gospel, and we proclaim it to anyone and to everyone who would hear. Anyone and everyone. For people rich, for people poor, whether they got it together or they don't, that doesn't determine who gets to hear the gospel. We must proclaim it to all of them. And what is the message that we proclaim? We proclaim the gospel to everybody. What is the message? Now, this is easy for us, hopefully. So it's the same message as last week. It's the same message as the week before. And the same message as the week before that. And the same message the week before that. And if you go all the way back, I'm just sure for the time I've been here to February 14th, right? February 14th, 2021. It's the same message that's been proclaimed every single week. And by God's grace, it'll be the same message that's proclaimed from now on in this pulpit that Jesus Christ is Lord, ruler of all creation, savior of all who believes in him. It's the same message. And that's what we saw in chapter 13. Paul takes them through the Old Testament. And he says, here is Christ. It's all of Jesus. And they get mad at him when he gets to the resurrection. But Paul is saying, there's no other place. There's no other one. Jesus is everything for us. But I love how Luke puts it in chapter 14. Maybe a little bit different than before. Because he says in chapter 14, verse 3, they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace. He puts it a little different here. 
He'll say something about the gospel. He'll say something about the word of the Lord. He'll say something about, but here it says, to the word of his grace, the gospel of his grace. The gospel that we preach is a gospel that is free of any burden or merit that we may bring. It's free of any burden or merit that we offer on our own. The gospel that we proclaim requires no prior qualification on our part at all. You don't have to have classes to get up to the level to hear the gospel. You don't have to have some background that allows you the privilege to hear the gospel. You don't have to have any prior qualifications whatsoever because the gospel we proclaim is a gospel of grace, not built upon merit, not built, up, not built upon esteem, not built upon any other thing, but simply the grace of God that is offered in. It's a gospel of grace. You cannot earn your way into heaven. And what's happened is, so many people have been thrown into spiritual prison trying to do that. Trying to be good enough. Trying to accomplish enough. Trying to earn God's favor. Trying to get God just to, just to give you a glance for a moment. So many people in their own effort, in their own strength, have been thrown into a spiritual prison because you can't be good enough and you can't esteem yourself enough and you can't earn the favor of God in your own strength and in your own power because the gospel tells us that we are all sinners and we deserve death. We can't get there from our own hearts in our own lives. And we don't have to. You can't earn your way in, and you don't have to. The Lord God has come, Jesus Christ, and said, I've died, I've been raised again, and anyone who calls on my name shall be saved. That doesn't mean you got to hear his name 10 times before you can do it, or you got to hear his name 100 times before you can do it. No, when Jesus Christ is proclaimed, anyone at that time, no matter what your resume is, it could be bad or it could be good, no matter if you have it together or you don't, anyone at that time can believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and have everlasting life because it's not a gospel of works or qualifications. It's a gospel of grace. Of grace. So when we're sent we're sent with a message of grace, a message of grace. Yes, Paul speaks about exclusivity. There's only one Jesus. I mean, can you imagine getting into heaven and meeting Jesus for the first time? Not going to happen. The only way you're there is because you know him, his person and his work, and you trust in him. And there's only one way. There's not another Savior. There's not another place. That's what gets people so upset oftentimes here in the book of Acts. But not only did he preach exclusivity, he also preaches repentance. You must acknowledge, you must confess you're a sinner, and you must turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. You must do all of those things. The gospel of grace does not preclude exclusivity of Christ or the necessity of repentance for us to turn from our sin. The gospel of grace tells us that nothing is stopping you from doing it other than believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is stopping you. Salvation comes as a free gift from God, not based on who we are, but who he is and what he has done. Y'all know, know that hymn. There's a hymn. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's just simply called amazing grace. Anybody ever heard it? Okay, good. The reason why that word amazing, that the scripture is added, because as John Newton says, 
it saved a wretch like me. The recognition that there is nothing good in us, that there's nothing that can earn our way, that there's nothing that we can do to gain God's favor, yet he still gives it to us, makes it all the more amazing. Amazing. So we preach to all people the gospel of grace and salvation has come. And third and finally, what are the means by which we preach this? How, how must it be proclaimed? It's not the first time this is mentioned, but I want you to look at verse 3. And I got this underlined in my Bible because I think it's that important for me. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly. Speaking boldly. Notice they have the word speaking, so they're proclaiming, they're speaking. They're not just living and doing other things and hoping people notice. They're speaking it, and they're speaking boldly here. Boldness here presupposes the task at hand. They are sent to proclaim the good news of Christ. But boldness also adds in here the urgency of the task. They're sent to proclaim the good news of Christ to a people who are dying and going to hell. So there's an urgency that matches here. So we have to be bold because the task is urgent. What we've been given is urgent. So that means we've got to press into. We've got to go. We've got to share. We don't have time to waste. And sometimes we know that means boldness. And boldness is found in a sure and steady confidence of a few things. First of all, the command to go and to share the gospel is a command that came from a resurrected king. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus himself, came, suffered, died on the cross, and raised again. And that resurrected king said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go and make disciples. The resurrected king has given us this demand. The one who is alive and reigns even on the throne in heaven is the one who has given this command. So the confidence they have, here the apostles have, Paul has, is because the command to go has not just come from some urgency or some, some notion in their heart or some, some new thing they're trying to do. It's come from the resurrected king who sits on the throne. It's like Peter who denied Jesus three times to the little girl and to some others there on the night he would be killed. But then just a few weeks later stands up into the, in front of the very ones who put Jesus on the cross and said, this Jesus whom you killed, God raised from the dead. What changed for Peter from the night he betrayed him to the day he stood before those who killed him and said, he is alive. He saw him. He heard him. The resurrected king was in front of him. So we have a boldness because we have this resurrected king who has given us a command. But not only that, we have a boldness because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you wait here because the Spirit's coming in power. And when it comes, you will have everything you need. And we talked about the Spirit last week, how the Spirit gives us the words to say, guides us in where we go, how the Spirit empowers us for witness, enlivens our worship, how the Spirit gives us all of these things. And in Acts chapter 4, whenever they're threatened, whenever they're told not to speak anymore, they gather together and they pray to God and His Spirit, give us more boldness. Give us more boldness. Paul will say it later, 2 Corinthians 3. Boldness comes from the fact not only do we have a resurrected king, 
but also we have a sure and faithful hope. In other words, I have boldness because Jesus died for me and told me to go. I have a command from the king who all things have been given and granted to him, but he's also coming back for me one day. So not only do I have this command from him, I know I am waiting on him to return for me. So I have hope, Paul says, as I wait in boldness. Philippians 1, we get boldness from watching other believers be faithful in difficulty. We get boldness from that. Boldness keeps us going, as Acts chapter 28 says. The gospel continues without reservation or hesitation, without hindrance, in all boldness, it tells us. Boldness takes the gospel. Boldness keeps the gospel going. Listen, boldness is the difference in sharing the gospel or not sharing the gospel. The difference in just saying God bless you and walking away to saying, can I tell you what Jesus has done for me takes boldness. And there's no reason here, there's no other reason why the, the apostles say in Acts over and over again, we pray for more boldness. Give us more boldness. Give us more boldness. Because it's the gospel that's going to go forward. And the only way it's going to go forward is if the people of God take the gospel of God with all boldness to the people who are desperate for it. Really what stands in the way of so many hearing is us being bold with the good news. Us changing the subject from football and food, right? Two of the things we love the most. Because just asking a question, can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? That takes boldness. But football and food, thank God, pass away. But what lasts forever is the gospel and good news of Christ Jesus and the eternal life that is given. So why would we sit back and just talk about the mundane things so easily? God, give us more boldness to just ask the next question. Have you ever heard of Jesus? Can I tell you what he's done for me? Boldness will take the gospel to the deepest and darkest places. And boldness will be how you have a, have a conversation with your kid, your son, and your daughter who may not be following the Lord. God, give us more boldness. The strategy doesn't work unless you have boldness. Notice what it's met with. They preach the gospel to all people, Jews and Gentiles. They preach the gospel of grace to all people, and they preach it boldly. And notice what happens. Verse 5, they're mistreated. Verse 5, the Jews and the Gentiles rile up a group. They're going to mistreat them and threaten to stone them, so they have to leave. They have to flee. They have to leave town. Verse 11, Paul and Barnabas are proclaiming the good news and the Lord is working through them and they're misunderstood. They're misunderstood because as they begin to preach, they, they begin to worship Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas have ripped their clothes. No, worship us. We're not. That, that, that's not what we're doing. So in preaching the gospel, they're misunderstood. They're mistreated. They're misunderstood. You got to clean that up. You got to correct misunderstandings. But not only that, you see mob violence here. In verse 19, you see what happens. Those who wanted to stone Paul caught up with him. And when he gets there in Lystra, as he's proclaiming, they drag him out of the city, they stone him, and they leave him for dead. The mob comes after him, having pursued him from all these little towns. And so they're mistreated, they're misunderstood, they're mobbed, 
left for dead, but find out what Paul says here. Paul's left out of the city, supposing he's dead in verse 19. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. It tells us that Paul gets up, having been stoned, left for dead, stands up, goes back, preaches the gospel, goes to the next town, preaches the gospel. Not out of fear anymore, but still in boldness, proclaiming the good news with all the scars, all bloody, all the bruises, everything he's got, still proclaiming the good news. Because like our good friend Lottie Moon said, we are, we are immortal until the Lord God calls us home, right? So Paul recognized that his life is not in the hands of these people with a stone. His life is in the hands of the God who loves him, died for him, saves him, and keeps him. So he is there in his hands, and so he continues with all boldness. And he encourages them from town to town. He encourages them with this. One, remain faithful because God is faithful. What a testimony that is coming from a guy who's bruised up, who's left for dead. Remain faithful. Because God did not leave me. Has to be in the back of Paul's head, back of his mind whenever he's writing Romans, right? Whenever he's writing Romans and he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He knows. He knows the heights and he knows the depths. He knows the difficulty. He knows what it means to be left for dead. And he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God because he is faithful. And if you turn from him, where else are you going to go? It's like the psalmist, who, have I, who do I have in heaven but you, O oh Lord? Where else should I turn? You're the ones with the words of eternal life. I trust you to hold me in your hands. Remain faithful, for God is faithful. If we're going to fulfill the task he's put in front of us to proclaim the gospel to everybody, the gospel of grace with all boldness, then we have to remain faithful. But not only that, we've got to expect trials and tribulations. They may look at Paul and they may say, man, you don't feel like that was a little bit harsh? Maybe God could have stopped that? Paul says, no. He tells them, he says, he encouraging them to continue in faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul says, this is not just the, the first tribulation and it's not going to be the last. Until the Lord calls me home, we should expect that the gospel is going to be met with mistreatment, with misunderstanding, even with mobs. We should expect this, for the scriptures have told us this. That's how they prayed in Acts 4. This is exactly what Psalm 2 told us is happening right now. The scriptures have told us, and the Lord has been clear. You can even look at Jesus' example, who was waiting on the crown for him. But how did he get to the crown? It's through the cross. Through the cross. Y'all, we talked about the first verse, that song you may have heard of, Amazing Grace. But man, more and more so in my life. It's the third verse, right? Where he says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The same grace that saved us without qualification or reservation, without anything on our part, but came to us when we didn't deserve it and we felt the unmerited favor of God in our life, that same grace is the same grace that will keep us and the same grace that will bring us safely home. That's enough, right? Whatever temptation, whatever trial, whatever struggle, when we depend upon the Lord and his grace, it is enough. 
Paul says, stay in his grace. Endure hardships, stay in his grace. Third, he encourages them to establish the church. Verse 23, he went back to every single town and he appointed elders for them in every church. He gave them leaders to preach, to proclaim, to lead them, to shepherd them in this way. Paul goes in to establish the church as he's already done. He wants to make sure that their churches are healthy. Why? Because it's through the church that the gospel will advance to the nations. Why? Because it's through the church that we're encouraged and we're strengthened. It's through the church that we're built up. It's through the church that we worship together, that we, that we sin, that we go, that we pray, that we give. It's through the body of Christ joined together as Pastor Jeremy prayed this morning. Jesus is our head. We are the members of the body. And it's through the church that the gospel advances. And I hate, I hate when I hear of church trauma in people's lives. It just drives me nuts. It's just not supposed to be that way. The church is the place where we should come together and proclaim the good news of Christ. We send, we go, we pray, we give, we worship. And our job here is we should find encouragement is to establish the church. It's in our very vision that we have at our, at our church. So my encouragement to you is to help us do that. And one of the ways you can help us do that is not by tearing the church down at all, but by being an encourager, serving and working for the glory of God. That's where we find encouragement to fulfill the task we've been given. Finally, close with this. It says that he declared all that God had done. When they had arrived and gathered back at Antioch in the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. All that God had done. The story of the first missionary journey is not Paul or Barnabas' story. It's God's story. He's the main author. Just as he's the main author in my life. That the testimony that I have is not telling you what Josh has done. The testimony that I have is telling you what God has done through me and in me and with me. They sit down and what, what they realize is God gets all the glory for it all. And surely Paul told them of the mistreatment. And surely he told them of the mobs. And surely he told them of the misunderstandings around the gospel. Surely he did. But our tendency is to look to those things, right? You look to it and you go. It's like, it's like rubbernecking when you're riding down the road looking at a, a, looking at a wreck. We like that trouble, right? We look at it and we go, man, look at all the bad stuff that happens right here. Look at all the negative that takes place. Paul preaches the gospel. He gets mistreated, has to flee for his life. He preaches the gospel. He's misunderstood. That's aggravating. He preaches the gospel. Moms come. That's dangerous. Look at all that. We tend to look at that, and the fear builds up because that's what the devil wants it to do. That fear builds up in our heart and our life, and we always focus on the negative. I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident when Paul told of all that God has done, he did not speak of any of it in negative terms at all. In fact, I would say this, we as believers have every reason, not just not to be negative, we have every reason to be overly optimistic in this world and in this life. We don't have to walk around being curmudgeons and mad all the time and upset about this and upset about that. Jesus still reigns, he's still coming back for us, and we know how this story ends. We just sang about it. We have every reason to rejoice and be optimistic. Every reason. And Paul goes back and he says, listen to this, y'all. They mistreated us. They mobbed us. Man, you won't believe what God did in my life. But our tendency is to go to those things. I guarantee you Paul didn't forget chapter 14, verse 1, 
many believed. I guarantee you he didn't forget what happened when he went back to each of those towns and found believers there in the towns where Paul had been beaten or the towns he had been run. He goes back and finds believers and establishes the church because there's believers there. And it says many believed. Many believed. Oftentimes we turn to the negative to see all the bad things that happen when we often should look and see this. That just like in heaven, when one person comes to repentance and faith and is saved, the scriptures tell us the angels rejoice for us. When one comes to life and salvation through the gospel proclaimed and maybe even through us, then we too recognize that whatever else happens is all worth it. It's all worth it. They come to faith. It's worth it. They come to salvation. It's worth it. We're sent out to proclaim the gospel of grace to anybody and everybody with all boldness. And it's going to be difficult. We're going to be met with hard day, hardship, difficulty. So we stay faithful. We endure hardship. We establish and work in the church. And we give all glory to God. That's what chapter 14 is teaching us. That's what it's showing us as we go, as we're sent. And I pray that becomes our great desire. My friends, I can promise you no other joy other than the joy you experienced the day you came to faith in Christ Jesus and you recognize his grace. I can promise you no other joy, nothing like it, other than seeing others come to faith through the proclamation of the word. If that's going to happen, if you long for that joy in your life, for your children, for your friends, for those around you, if you long for that, then tell them of the grace you know. Tell them boldly of what Christ Jesus has done for you and see God work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your kindness to us and giving us your word. God, help us to realize that part of the grace you have shown us is not only saving us and redeeming us, but allowing us the privilege to proclaim your good news. So God, I pray today that you would give the believers of Taylor's First Baptist Church more boldness to proclaim your good news. Stir in our hearts even now as we gather together to sing and close this out. Stir in our hearts even now more boldness. Help us to see Jesus as everything. Help us to know the gospel of grace again and again in our hearts. Not only is it the gospel that saves us, but it keeps us. Help us to have the willingness to ask that next question. Can I tell you about what Jesus has done for me? And God, if there's someone here today that does not know you, may today they set aside all of their efforts and they simply call out to Christ Jesus to save them from their sins. And God, you promise. You promise. And you fulfilled that promise in my life and every other believer in this room. You promise that you will hear them and you'll save them. They need boldness for even that now, Father. Work and move in our lives for your glory, we pray. Let's stand together and sing.